Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm one half of the dynamic duo, the Jackman Twins. Eric Jackman, uh, happy to be with you tonight and really psyched to have my friend on. Uh, God, we go back. It's decades at this point, Ryan. And, it is. Uh, <laughs> been a minute since we saw each other, but I've been wanting to have him on for a while, and that's uh, Mr. Ryan Bell. Ryan, thanks for joining me tonight, man. Oh, man, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, definitely a huge fan of you and uh, and Mike, and uh, I love what you guys are doing and, and the content you're putting out there. So as I've told you guys in the past, I'm a huge fan uh, of yours. So to be on here is pretty exciting for me. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I know we, we ran into you at Post and Beam a couple times, and uh, yeah. you said that. I'm like, oh, you'd be, uh, you'd be a great guest. I'd love to have you on. And then we, we went out in June for Fedorka's birthday. Uh, that was the last time we hang out. We hung out. We met up at uh, Elm City. Yeah, that escalated rather quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did Elm City, and uh, Hinkley turned uh, 30, 34. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, would have been 34 last year. And yeah, I'm 35 now. And uh, I'm the old man in the room. Yeah. Are you, are you 40? How old are you now? I, I will be 42 this year. It's it's oh, hard shit. to wrap my mind around that. Uh, the fact that I'm 42, I, I certainly don't act my age and I don't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's just a mere number to me. And, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes I'm on the level of my children sometimes mentally, you know, but it's all in good fun. Oh, yeah. So 1980. Yes, okay. Eighty, yeah, I'm eighty-six. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been crazy. Um, so yeah, we, we hung out in Keene there, and then we, we ended up at um, uh, that other bar is Modest Man. Yes, brewery. Modest Brewery. Yeah, that was like my second or third time going there, and I enjoyed that place. Oh man, so. if you like a good IPA, uh, I always thought on the beer scene, New Hampshire was always you know trending behind Vermont. And I think now New Hampshire is catching up to where you don't have a tra- travel across the border. You can get some good beers in your backyard. And Modest Man is putting out some great, great IPAs. So if you're into IPAs, I totally highly recommend them. They're uh, in downtown Keene, right in what used to be a TD Bank North. So they've got a good little scene going over there. Yeah, that's that's really what this is, just to plug our favorite uh, brew spots here. <laughs> We've got Post and Beam here in Peterborough, where I live. I, live, I literally right across the street from them. And uh, <clears throat> Elm City, which is kind of old glory. It's been up there for over 25 years now at this point. Yeah. They have one of my favorite beers. I'm not so much an IPA guy. I like uh, the lighter beers. The uh, Kolsch, mm-hmm. the Peachy Keen is my favorite beer there. Sure. I don't, I don't ever get creative, man. That's the only one I get when I go. Hey, sometimes I, simple is good, man. I get know. that. I get, get the wings with the ranch. They make their homemade ranch dressing there. And then, yeah, Modest Man had some good, uh, had some sours that I enjoyed, and they do have lighter beers, if that's your forte. So, yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was awesome, for sure. Yeah, so um, I saw recently you were, uh, you're still playing rugby, right? Oh, God, yes. How? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> kind of transitioning from, you know, military to civilian world. <clears throat> you needed to fill a void, a massive void in my life. And, you know, you're pretty much intertwined with, you know, brotherhood camaraderie. Like you spend a lot of time with the guys you serve with. So as I exited the mil- or army and uh, I came, moved to Kansas for a year, which was a strange experience, um, but it was nonetheless needed. Uh, I moved back to New Hampshire, started going back to Franklin Pierce um, and just happened to run into rugby, you know, and it's been, it's been really good for me. I, as you know, a vet, I recommend you know, uh, 
team sports to any vet that's having struggles, but rugby, because it's its own niche sport, is unlike no other and uh, highly recommended to anybody. You know, and the great, the great thing about rugby is you don't have to be the strongest, the fastest. Rugby has a spot for everybody. It's a very inclusive sport. I love the uh, the messages it sends globally. You know, uh, and so yeah, man, that's I'm still going hard. We're uh, so I play with the Monadnock Wolfpack. Uh, we're based out of Keene. Um, we've built a program that is going on to potentially a national championship here in the spring. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement around the club. Yeah, sorry, you had a. A banquet recently up at uh, it used to be Waxies in Keene. Yes, yes, it's, it was uh, a good... called Tempestas now, I believe. It is great spot. Uh, they do a little bit of everything, um, and everything that I've had there has been really good. Um, and it's it, you know it's that so Jimmy Tempesta and Tracy Tempesta are those old school Italian types that as soon as you walk in, you feel like you've been part of the family for thirty years. And so I, I love the atmosphere there. The staff is great. The food is even better. Um, so it's a win win all around. But yeah, the banquet was great. It was a lot of fun hanging out with. You know, the teammates post uh, kind of like off season, you know, we kind of took a month off or two and we're ramping back up to start hitting the pitch and training and, and getting out there and hopefully represent the region to the best of our ability by winning a national championship. So, yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Um, yeah. Mike's band played there in Northern Stone. They did a New Year's gig there. And that's the first uh, big event that those guys put on as, as a new restaurant and a new spot. And they sold over 130 tickets. Place was packed all nice. night. And because um, the place is connected to the Best Western, they um, hooked the band up with a hotel room and dinner, and it was uh, it was a really good experience. So oh, Northern okay. Stone will hopefully be playing there um, again in the future. Yeah, man, it's just nice to get back to some normalcy a little bit as we start trending, hopefully, out <sighs> of what we're currently in and live music, you know, like without having to be, you know, kind of uh, mitigated to your experience by based off, you know certain amount of people in a room or whatever that looks like. So yeah, all, all the variables, at least we're, right. we're not, a, we're not at that level of clown world that DC and New York city is right now. I have <laughs> friends and family in both of those spots of our country right now. And uh, yeah, it's just, it hasn't, it, it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. No. And you know, and, and I agree with you there. Um, kind of taking a non-emotional approach to this when it first started. Right. And just, kind of looking at what's out there and what's going on, you know, it, 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 to me, and I'm not saying this thing isn't, you know, this virus COVID-19 isn't doing work and, you know, in, in globally, but man, it seems like there's kind of some motives behind it with a little bit of loss of freedom here and there, you know, telling, you know, governments telling businesses what they can and can't do should be very scary to everybody, you know, and that, and that, you know, I just, I, I don't feel comfortable, you know, with that. Um, but maybe, you know, uh, it's a wake up call that we've gotten complacent with freedom and, you know, hopefully we start thinking freedom oriented again. Not that we aren't, but more so. Centrally, yeah. you know. Well, we just it, it's it's absurd where we've gone in two years. Um, and I'm really excited and energized to see what the, they're doing in Canada. Um, you know, my dad was from Canada originally, and I know if he was still around, he would really be proud of his country, uh, fellow countrymen and women who were up there doing what they're doing and, and really pushing it back in the face of uh, the government. And, and the, just in, in my opinion, like you said, the over restrictive measures and just gutting small business and, and trapping people in their home and 
checkpoint. I mean, it, it's bananas. That's that shit is happening in Canada, and and obviously, I don't know if you've seen Australia. Australia has totally lost the plot. You know, oh. arrest, arresting people who are they are past curfews, and they have apps for phones. If you don't respond within a certain amount of time, they'll send a cop to your house. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's just hard to think where we are now in such a short amount of time. And, you know, being I'm 35, you're almost 42. Like mm. in our lifetime, I, I didn't believe we'd see it like get this bad, but I'm also like not totally surprised. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, I think we took a lot of things for granted, you know, whether it be hot water, soap, uh, a hot meal, cold water, whatever that looks like. And I think we've just we've been so fat in full for a long time that now it's kind of the complacency is getting the better of us. And, uh, and I say us just across the, the globe. And um, I, I, you know, looking at the Australia model and, and, and I'm all for, you know, you know, the right to carry the right to bear arms, freedom of speech. You, I defended that document and, and I really believe in it because it's such a wonderful document that can give anybody an opportunity to be something. It may not be an equal outcome, but you have an equal opportunity. And um, I think Australia giving up their guns, you know, on a buyback, you know, was the beginning of kind of the first domino falling. I mean, if you can't protect yourself, against an overarching government that has everything that you just turned in willingly, you're screwed. I mean, history books, <laughs> there's plenty of examples of this out there, you know, so you just got to pick up a history book and learn that we don't learn from history. <laughs> you know, it's doomed to repeat itself as cliche as that is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, firearms are for personal protection and they are also uh, a detriment to complete tyranny of a government. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not a big gun person myself, but, you know, on the same token, it's you look at how low crime is here in New Hampshire and, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you'll hear about home invasion, but uh, there's not really a lot of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, I look at people kind of like water, generally speaking, they're going to take the path of least resistance, you know, and to your point on the unknown of does this house have a means of defending itself? Eh, probably not going to go after that guy, but I'll go after the soft targets, you know, soft targets, you know, or schools, you know, universities, you know, uh, places where people have been forbidden and maybe rightfully so. I don't know. Uh, the ability to de defend themselves. And we start to see this time and time again of, you know, high schools, universities having shoot, you know, these mass casualties by way of shootings, you know, like what are we doing differently? Because we're not doing anything differently. We're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting it to be different and it's not changing. You know, what I think frustrates me is you hear these politicians stand on their soapbox screaming from the mountains that this ain't going to happen again. The very policies that are in place, in my opinion, are making it happen again. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, that that that's that that one. Uh, a lot of emotion comes out in that argument or that discussion about how to stop those things mm -hmm. and in our society. Um, and it, I know I think it's a mix of factors. I mean part of living in a free society they're going to be a certain percentage of us uh who are insane and unstable people <laughs> right yeah you know, because those people exist oh does that mean that the majority of people who are normal and fine to handle firearms have their rights infringed which right. i don't think i don't think it does right but you know people on the other side of that coin will make that argument that that only a small percentage should be reason enough to just cede you know the second amendment and and further infringe on gun rights but um yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the more we're we're uh, we're going on as a society, we are we are getting pretty polarized and dug in. And one of the, the reasons I do this podcast and I do this show, um, I just like to have conversations with people, and I bring on people who I don't even agree with on things, or I agree with a lot of things. I just like to get um, different perspectives, and I think that's really missing big time from um, our society overall. And, um, you know, I also, I make the point to people that if you turn the TV off and you just go out into the world and talk to people, most people are actually really reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, you know, to your point on that, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, what is positive, you know, on the news anymore? You know, I remember growing up and, you know, the, the late eighties, early nineties, where you had your feel good stories, you know, and taking some journalism classes at, you know, Franklin Pierce, that whole bleed, if it bleeds, it leads mentality starts swinging the pendulum in one direction, hardcore, where there's, if I'm constantly watching doom and gloom, what is there, you know, what, what, what is, what is the reassurance that things are not as bad as they are? But, you know, the constant thumping and, you know, that, well, you know, today this happened, today that happened, COVID-19 deaths here and there, which is probably useful information to some people. But we don't talk, using COVID as an example, about all the recovery rates. And it's all the, you know, polarizing athletes, you know, that, oh, this guy, you know, this kickboxer from, you know, Russia died. Healthy guy. All right. What about the other 75 people that had illnesses that are survived as well you know so you know the, man i don't report the recoveries in mass i mean i had it back in november My, mike and i had it and uh we got through it you know we're, we're big boys so we're the ones who were like the highest at risk and that sort of thing but it was it was two two and a half weeks and i had to take a couple weeks off work and it was basically the worst uh you know flu on steroids that i've ever had and right I was, you know, I was weak. Uh, I had a couple of days where I was short, short of breath. That was like the worst it got, the shortness of breath and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But after coming through it, and, and I've always had this position on it, it, it's, it does not equate infringement on civil liberties and further expanding a surveillance state that already has its nose in so many aspects of our life. Now it's going to go even deeper into our medical, the medical matrix and, and, our, and our movement. And I had a guy, I, I did a show with this great Canadian um independent research, James Corbett, James Corbett, he lives in Japan now. And and his take on the whole thing is really the infrastructure that's now going to be created to track everybody and keep track and and, uh, checkpoints and passports and all that. That is really just going to be used now to even further keep tabs on people and even have a further window into our lives. And now that that infrastructure exists, it's, you can't, you can't put it back. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. And it's, it's just, it's, it's scary, man. So, you know, going back to Canada, I'm just happy to see there's some pushback and I'm really inspired by it. And I just, I just hope that things can get better for the Canadian people. And then just also for everyone around the world. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, when you look at like the corporate driven media outlets, uh, what plays, what airs, what doesn't air. Right. And yeah, you've seen some things here and there about, you know, the, 500,000 truckers making a move, but that is a huge thing, which if it were me would be on the news cycle a lot more than what it's not, you know, and I think that, you know, kind of goes against whatever narratives might be out there, 
by way of what you had mentioned, controlling people, passports. I mean, did you, did you hear yourself say that? Like, it's freaking <laughs> nuts, dude. That's, like, that's nuts, I dude. can't enter this restaurant without a COVID-19 passport. I mean, and the fact that people willingly do this is is mind-boggling to me you know i always tell people this man for what it's worth what's good for the goose may be not good for the gander and however you sway politically whatever team is in power may work for you currently but be careful on what you do moving forward with your representation because it could come back and it's going to come back and haunt people you know they when they start feeling the the crunch of the inconvenience of well man i had you know Sammy Hagar tickets, but I left my passport at home, so I can't get into the venue. But I traveled four hours, you know, like mm. to get there. So it's just, you know, a rudimentary example. It's it's just mind boggling that this is where we're at, you know. And I always thought that America was the last beacon of hope, you know, where you could be what you wanted to be, you know, however that looks. And sure, there's assholes on every side of the fence, you know, like, but you go to a Middle Eastern country for example, or it doesn't have to be the Middle East, but where you, if you are gay, you're getting thrown off buildings, uh, decapitated, maybe lit on fire, uh, maybe put in the ground and stoned to death if you have been raped, you know? So these are just, they're, I don't know, man. It's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah. It's, um, it's wild. It's created even more of a divide, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a great example about the concerts. Uh, Mike and I had tickets to see Justin Hayward, the lead singer of the Moody Blues. Mm-hmm. He was playing at City Winery in Boston and um, we got them before policy changes and stuff. And uh, we had to show a negative test to get into the venue. So we went and took the test, did that whole thing and our results didn't come back in time. So we couldn't go to the concert. <laughs> And these, you know, were, these yeah. are like five rows back from the stage, hundred dollar oh, per, per oh, ticket, man. and it's just like, Jesus, this, this is, this is the direction that it's going in, and, and it, uh, it's not the same America, man, that you and I grew up in. No, it's changing for sure, and I always had this like gut feeling that something was going to happen. What that happening was, I was certainly not sure of, but now, as we're knee deep into this, it's like, dude, like. You can only mess with people's food and money for so long before things start to go south. And and south and and not in like, hey, we're going to debate each other on a stage. South and is like a second coming of a potential civil war. And this is just my opinion. But like you see it bubbling, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the virtuous signaling on both sides, quite frankly. You know, you're a sheep if you get vaccinated. Hey, you don't give a shit about people if you don't get vaccinated. Like it's it's not mutually exclusive right you know like you know you have the the you know my body my choice crowd you know doing their thing which is great and i respect but then all of a sudden when it comes to a, an unproven vaccine you know um which seems to maybe be working you know from what i've seen uh you know there's going to be hesitation there and and everybody has a right to be hesitant about something that you know, for years and years and years, you know, it was 15, 20 years to just to, to get a vaccine, a vaccine approved. You know, now we did it in a year, some change, and people are supposed to, you know, run with open arms and hug this vaccine and be like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> just roll your sleeve right up, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing that you had mentioned, and I, I find this laughable, maybe, yeah, laughable. So it's like, you know, the COVID testing, you know, it's, uh, it's it's comical because 
you may test negative today and test positive tomorrow. So what do these tests actually do for anybody other than give you a false sense of security? Yeah, it, it is, it is a uh, kind of a, an emotional thing and, and uh, it's, it's, yeah, I know it's, it's just a pain in the ass. So I don't know what, what's going to happen. All I know is I'm going to still continue to speak out about it and, and try and be reasonable. And you're right, man, people are way too dug in on each side of the, of the equation. Um, I'm of the mindset, if you want to take um, the jab, go ahead, go for it. I'm not going to come at you or say anything about you or disparage you for making that choice. And and also, I will afford that to people that decide, that, yeah, I'm good. I don't want it. And I don't need right. it in my life. And that's it. And, and, and now people are prefacing <clears throat> social interactions with others, asking them about a medical, uh, you know, medical decisions in your life. That was never a thing, man, when we were growing up. Right. I didn't go up to my buddies and say, dude, did you uh, get A, B, and C uh, vaccine and everything? Like, are we cool to hug? Are we cool to hang out? I mean, it's just, it hangs over everything now. Right. It, and if you let it, and I don't, I don't let it in my little sphere of influence and who I see and everything, but a lot of people do. And it's, it's changed a lot of people. It's, it's damaged a lot of friendships and relationships, maybe permanently for friends and family, but I'm still trying to stay positive and, and just keep being a human being. Well, I think, and to your point there, it's like, it's, you know, platforms like this, sitting down with your neighbor, which is, it doesn't happen anymore. And just having conversations, you know, we, we, it's, it, it, it I use the term mind boggle a lot today, it, you know, that we can't have a conversation, respectfully disagree, you know, and, and be cool with it. You know, it's like, well, I like purple and you like red. That doesn't mean I'm going to demonize you for liking red and, you know, but it's cool. Hey man, that's your favorite color or whatever that looks like that scope. But you know, it, it's, it's like that, that divide of splitting families apart, you know, kind of, you know, civil war one, you know, it's, it's, and, and you've nailed it a couple of times. People are digging in further and further and further. And, and, you know, our, our Republic is very young in the grand scheme of global ages. So I think this is a growing pain that Ireland and the Russias of the world have gone through four and five, six, 12 times already. So, you know, right. It's been a great run. I still hold, have faith <laughs> that this. Oh, no one wants civil war, man. We don't want no. that. No, no, absolutely but not. I, I don't, but I don't I think, think it'll right. ever. Yeah, I hope not. Well, it's culturally the, the fault lines are cultural right now in America um, for certain parts of the country. And, and you, you, I mean, you, you lived in Kansas for a year. I mean, Kansas is different than New England for oh, sure. Yeah, totally, totally different. But um, yeah, it kind of extends into all aspects of people's lives. And, and another thing about this is I love that, uh, you know, come to us and take our shots and we'll give you a cheeseburger and a donut, but we're all about promoting health. It's like, well, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we be seeing every day on the TV that you should get exercise, you should get in shape, you should eat better, you should do less alcohol, less this and that. Um, you know, I, I, I saw man, you, it looks like you've been hitting the gym yourself lately. So oh yeah, I'm real, man. I'm happy to see that. I started going to the gym last June. Um, nice. I've been going twice a week training with, um, my classmate and my friend, Megan, who I've known since like seventh grade and she's got a gym at her house and she's a, you know, a certified personal trainer. So mm -hmm. I've been going over there twice a week, man. And, and I just want to get my ass in gear and, and get in better shape. So are you, uh, did you join a gym up in Keene? Like what, what's your uh, routine? Yeah. So I, uh, so this kind of ties into rugby. So I think mm. in two, 2019, 
just before COVID happened, we had a really successful season, um, which got canceled dude, based off the obvious stuff. Um, so I was really banged up. I was sore. Like I, I just, you know, I pushed my body to the limit, you know, and it's been kind of my, you know, the sports I've played have never been easy. The jobs I've chosen have never been easy physically. So I kind of was like, you know, I'm done. I had a great run playing rugby at this point. I'd probably been playing for 12 years. And I was uh, a, a teammate, or not a teammate, a friend of mine that plays for Burlington out of Vermont, walked me off the ledge a little bit. He's like, heal up, you know, and just see where it goes from there. And I'm like, all right. So to answer your question, I joined uh, CrossFit Monadnock. I used to make fun of CrossFitters because they're much like <laughs> vegans. They're going to let you know that they're vegans <laughs> and or CrossFitters. And so but, uh, I did a year of that, um, and then I – was not sore after games. Like, so I called it the two day hangover where like, okay, your games are on Saturday, Sunday, you're a bit tender, but Monday you need a wheelchair to navigate, you know, the better part <laughs> of your day. And so I, I've kind of bought into it where, you know, um, I compete against myself and not other people, you know, uh, I'm not looking to deadlift a thousand pounds. I'm not looking to squat, you know, 5,000 pounds. I go in there, I have a nice regiment and it's mindless. I don't have to think, you know, I, there's a, it's called a wad or workout of the day. That's already there. It's written down, you know, you're competing against the clock and, you know, so it's really good. I enjoy it. Uh, I've gotten stronger and, and, and faster, but you know, by and large, I have to, because I'm playing with guys that I'm 20 years older than, you know, you so their, you could be their father bell. <laughs> no, it's crazy. The <laughs> wife and I were talking about this the other day that we could very well have a 20 year old kid. And I'm like, man, that is nuts. That, that is, that that is I had kids. I should probably have been licensed, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear that. And um, I hadn't done any kind of meaningful workouts since high school at, at Conan. Uh, we used to go to the Mount. I don't know if you were there for when uh, Conan kids could go to the Mount in Gardner and go use their yeah. gym facilities and, and work out there, which was awesome. But with the, the uh, I call it the flu world order. Once the flu world yeah. order started in 2020 and I was sent to work home fully remote, I just rode the desk, man. I've just, mm -hmm. I would be at my desk working all day because my job I can just do from home. And then I go on my chair, watch TV for two hours. Then I go to yeah. bed and I would right. just do that, man, all week. And that went on for the first year and a half of the last two years. So finally right. I got to like summer of last year and I was just feeling like shit. I was so out of shape. Um, you know, just fearful of a set of stairs. Like I don't want to deal with climbing these stairs. I'm going to be all winded and sweaty and embarrassed right. and all that. I'm like, finally, I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. So I remembered that Megan had, uh, you know, trained people and she had a gym at her house and she's had a couple kids in the last few years. So she had to take some time off, obviously, between kids and stuff. But she said, hey, after I have my next kid and I recover from that, you can absolutely come over and I will train you and we can do twice a week. So um, I've been going over there on days that I work. Um, I don't work till 1230. So I just get over there for nine in the morning, man, and I commit to that nine o'clock out for an hour i'm gonna do an hour and um you know we're gonna stay at it and, and like you said man consistency and routine and and just working it into becoming part of part of your 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 shtick and what you're gonna do and i've just I haven't felt this great in years and um january 1st since i'm working so hard in the gym i, I figured i gotta work on my diet i got to be better about what i eat and um i committed to taking the first six months of this year off from alcohol so I just nice, uh, did, the, did the dry January, didn't wow. have any booze at all in January. 
and I love my soda too. So I, I'm off the soda. And um, I also in January just did a strictly carnivore diet. So I just ate yeah. meat and animal products. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. It's kind of a popular thing. Well, it's out there right now. It's one of the trendy, trendy things. Um, you know, Jordan Peterson's on it. His daughter is part of it. Um, you know, some podcasters, it's kind of part of their shtick. But I'd always kind of been interested in it. And yeah, you basically just, you avoid sugar and, and carbs and you just, you can eat seafood, you can eat meat and um, eat till you're full too. You don't have to starve yourself nice. or anything like that. So um, I found that this diet coupled with not drinking alcohol and working out twice a week has, has been really beneficial for me. No, that's sure. great news, man. That's great news. I, uh, so um, I intermittent fast. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's probably ooh, three years ago. I was pushing like 285, probably 285-ish, give or take. And uh, so I did a, a reset of, it's called the Whole30 cleanse, where basically it kind of touches on some of the things you had mentioned, you know, vegetables, meat, no dairy, no sugar, no, nothing that tastes good realistically. <laughs> but uh, it worked for me. And then so intermittent fasting, yeah, I've dropped... Uh, God, 50 pounds. Uh, wow. So I'm in at 235 and um, I feel great, man. And I think, you know, something you'd hinted at earlier is if there's one takeaway we have from, you know, the pandemic is just be healthy. If you, if you, you treat your body like a temple, it's going to treat you right, man, you know, and you got to take care of your, take care of yourself. Otherwise, you know, if you're open, opening the door for, you know, things to, to nip you in the butt, you know. Yeah, well, I don't <clears throat> exactly, man. I don't want to get diabetes. I don't want to have heart issues when I'm in my 30s or 40s or 50s. You know, I want to, I want to, I'd like to be around another 50 years. I mean, 85, I think, is a good number to shoot for. Sure. You know, uh, in 85, that I'm still in control of things and my faculties and stuff. But, um, right. You're right, dude. And, and I was glad that, um, I, I had already had, um, six months of working out under my belt when I got the uh, CCP virus, what mm -hmm. I call it, the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party virus, Ryan, okay? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I can't believe wet market, the wet market thing. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, the, the Out of all the years, the bat soup that's been eating, been, been eaten in this here wet market is the year that uh, unleashes an ungodly pandemic, which is this wet market happens to be right next to a level four biotech lab. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Remember I mean, they make were... movies about this stuff. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait for the movies. Remember when you were just a nut job and, 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 and looked at like a clown when you said, no, this thing came out of a lab there yeah. in Wuhan. And now it's like, that's an accepted thing. But if you, if you tweeted that or put that out a year ago, man, you would lose your account and be banned. Oh, where's your tinfoil hat, Mr. Jackman? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, Ryan, we got a uh, we got a question here from someone watching. Can Ryan publicly confirm he's a former member of the mafia, the E4 mafia, asking for a friend, going off the saw gunner thumbnail he was ruling? <laughs> yes, I was definitely Michael, part of the E4 mafia. Uh, it was most prestigious position I've ever had to date. Um, so to give you um, some background on what the E4 mafia is, Eric. So like, you you get promoted up to E4, which is a specialist or corporal. But more often than not, the E4 Mafia is just a bunch of specialists that are one rank out from being a sergeant. So you start getting uh, more duties to conduct as, the, you know, the expression shit rolls downhill. So more often than not, the sergeants would kick stuff your way. You'd have to run, you know, um, 
an event for the lack of better wording, you know, and, but you had privates underneath you and man, did you make their life miserable? Uh, it builds character, you know, you want to mentally test these young privates because once you go down range, man, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a whole day. Right. You have to be, you know, physically capable of doing certain things and mental fortitude is the biggest part, in my opinion of, you know, not sleeping for several weeks, you know, uh, your supply, chain getting jacked up where you have to ration a bottle of water and a meal for two months you know so it's it's a lot of mental how many mental privates would you have under you and it depended on the detail um but more often than not it would just be uh let's see for two two three three depending on your squad so four five it's been a while my math is horrible uh but if you're running a detail it could be all the pfcs and below and you've been tasked out to to run that detail so um yeah being an e4 e4 mafia was great and then the army kind of got soft and they started transitioning away from you know uh that e4 status mafia status and you know i oh go ahead is is, what is your initial ranking when you go into the army like that is it e4 or is is there something lower than that it's called sure yeah so you have a private which is a pv1 so that's and like the, the floor. That's the lowest. Coming in. Out, right. out of basic training, you're a private. You're a private, you know. And then they have a PV2, uh, which is still a private, but you have a stripe. Um, and then PFC is kind of like a, a chevron, I think is what it's called. And then your E4 is like a flipped upside down chevron with an eagle in it. Um, and then you got like three stripes for your sergeant. So I came in as a lonely private and... When I so I I went all in. I, I had never left New Hampshire, and so you know, uh, attending Franklin Pierce, my first go around, I was my second week uh, into to, to classes and was typing out my first report, and I'm in the computer lab, and my, my wow, data technology, AOL Instant Messenger. Remember when that was a thing? <laughs> I, I had AIM. Yeah. And uh, so I got a message from my a friend of mine that went to Stonehill College. He's like, dude, like shit's hitting the fan. He's like, planes are flying into the trade centers. And I thought he was just being an a-hole, you know, like, yeah, whatever, dude, I ain't got time for your, your craziness. I got to get this, you know, report done. And so I printed it out, was sprinting across through, the, you know, the campus center. And I saw it. I'm like, holy, f- like that's fucking big. That's like Pearl Harbor esque. Like, like that will be the, one of the things that you'll never forget. Like, and you know, I, I, I would willing to bet most people know exactly where we're at when all that information came out. And basically from there, I just saw all these people affected by this one event and me never really leaving my backyard, you know, I've kind of fit the model, you know, poor kid that doesn't have a whole lot of money, you know? Um, so I went into the recruiting stations, did my due diligence, checked out all the branches and then army gave me the best options. And I decided to, to jump out of airplanes and live in Italy. And man, that was nuts <laughs> living in Italy. Talking about a culture shock, you know, uh, and, and then culturally it's just different, you know, um, men holding hands and kissing each other on the cheek is something that I wasn't exposed to a lot. You know, we don't see that in Southwest New Hampshire bell too much. Do we? <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> and so, you know, it was a great experience, you know, and I tell anybody, you know, there's good and there's bad with everything we do, you know, and I use this little cliche statement that it's scientifically proven that positivity is attracted to negativity. You just got to look for it. And even though Iraq was probably the, 
one of the worst experiences I've had, you know, um, it's also one of the best experiences in the same breath. It taught me a lot about myself, you know, um, and it taught me a lot about, you know, taking things for granted and how to really appreciate every minute, every second that we have, you know, and, 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 and utilize it to the best of your ability. You know, I don't want any regrets in life and I don't have any, you know, I, it's really hard for me to have a bad day. My, my, my holy shit day has been, you know, way up here. So anything below that, it's a good day, man. You know, and I think it rubs people wrong the way. Cause I'm like the, Hey, how are you doing, man? Life's good. And it's like, Somebody ate my fucking sandwich out of the goddamn break room. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the worst day ever. Yeah. Yeah. If that's your if that's your thing, man, you're having a good day too. You just don't see it yet. You know. So. Right. No, that, that that is a great perspective. Yeah, when 9-11 happened, I was that was my freshman year at Conant. So I was uh in the cafeteria in the morning when uh good old Murphy came on the loudspeaker and said that uh that they waited to tell the school until like both buildings had collapsed. They yeah. said what happened. And my class uh conant class of 05 we were the last group of kids to go on american heritage tour on aht uh with the world trade center still standing so we went mm -hmm. in may of 2001 down to you know the civil war battle sites amish country yeah uh, new york city dc so we were the last group to go before 9 11 happened and it's it's just hard for me to imagine some of these people uh, well, ki kids now, I say kids, like some of my coworkers, I, I have coworkers born in like the late nineties. One of my coworkers was born in 97. So she was four when nine 11 happened. And like to her, uh, department of Homeland security and, um, the, the Patriot act and, and TSA are like all things that just always existed. They've just always been here and been part of America, but it's like, no, that all came in with nine 11. And, and that's, that's how much that one event changed our whole society. And obviously it changed the course of your life, um, changed the trajectory. You know, you were starting at Franklin Pierce and going to do that whole deal in our beautiful hometown of Ringe. And then, oh, yes. um, you, you know, 9-11 happened and you felt compelled to, you know, sign up and, and serve our country. So it, 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 that event, and, and that's why I still talk about it. I know it was 20, it's going to be 21 years this year, but it really is, it's, 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 it's next to the COVID deal. It's the single, largest event of, of our lifetime. Yeah, you're not wrong. And like, you know, I, I used to hang out in a vet center and, you know, I don't often use the word hero, right? And it was this old World War II vet and came up to me and as he was leaving the vet center, just looked at me and kind of touched me on the shoulder. And he was like, hey man, if you don't ever talk about it, no one will ever know. So I think, so what I got out of that after like, like spinning my wheels for weeks on end, I'm like, this dude should be checked into a, some sort of facility because that was just the most random thing most random thing i've been you know was thrown my way but then i started really thinking about it on like stories like we don't talk about it right think about you know and, and like and and there's other varying factors here and i say this but like how much of history do we really know because you've got those first person you know boots on the ground whether it's you know war wise or whatever that is you know, uh, that don't talk about it. And, and, and you miss those grassroots stories of people being there, you know, and if we don't talk about these things, they'll get lost in translation. And then this is where I, you know, that kind of, as we touched on earlier, where we don't learn from history, we've got to talk about, it. we should never forget 9-11, you know, and, and, and what came of that, you know, uh, with the Patriot Act and, things of that nature, you know, and the ever expanding NSA metadata collection and all these things that, 
there's just a false sense of security. Like if any of this stuff was allegedly working, they would stop more things, right? So, I mean, with all the access they have to mobile devices and queuing anytime, you know, like you figure we would stop, you know, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird to think about it, but like we would stop more of these mass shootings or whatever that looks like, right? Like, but nothing has changed other than the fact that we have given up certain rights or certain yeah. pieces of our daily, you know. It didn't stop the Boston Marathon bombing from no. happening. And the FBI were all over those guys. I mean, they were, they they knew about them. They knew about Tamerlan, the older brother. There, I don't I don't know how deeply involved the FBI is with that. I haven't gone too deep into that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I'll I'll never stop talking about it. I'll never stop talking about the Iraq War. I mean, that that's how I measure anyone who's worthy of support, who's running for office. Mm-hmm. If they were around in the lead up to Iraq, and they were in a position of power to, uh, you know question it, just question the basis of it, and or at least expand debate on this very, very important decision of sending young Americans to possibly die, you know, right. seven, 8,000 miles away, um, based on an event that turns out was Iraq had nothing to do with, with 9-11. You know, if anything, we should have ended up in Saudi Arabia uh, asking <laughs> questions of those guys, you know? Right. But um, so, yeah, I actually, I had... um. I don't know if you've heard of her before. She retired from the army as a colonel. Her name is Ann Wright, Colonel Ann Wright. She was in the army. Start. She joined the army in the '60s, and I think was in for probably you know 25, 30 years. And you, you got to be in for a while to get to colonel, I assume. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good old boy system right there, man. You can. Well, I think yeah. definitely it's probably tougher for women to to navigate yeah. the rank structure. Right. I was really interested to get her take on that because. Yeah. Um, I don't know today how many colonels there are in the army who are women, but her time coming up through it, she said there were definitely was not even many women in the army, let alone those who were going for higher ranking. And, you know, she said she dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, sexual harassment. She didn't deal with any sexual assault, but she said certainly um, going 60s, 70s and 80s and nowhere near the light was on it like there is now. Right. And um, so she, yeah, she was a colonel in the army and then she was in the state department in the foreign um, services diplomatic corps. And she was one of the people who was sent to Afghanistan after nine 11 to set, to reestablish our embassy over there, which had not been operational since the nineties. Cause right. when the Taliban got in there, man, they, uh, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't want to be in an embassy over in Afghanistan. Uh, so she, it, yeah. she was like one of a handful of diplomats that went over to set up the embassy again in Afghanistan and it was just fascinating talking to her. And after we invaded, uh, you know, Afghanistan and went over there and, and tried to neutralize um, the Taliban, while well, Al-Qaeda was given safe harbor by the Taliban, um, the drumbeat for Iraq was starting. And she was just like, well, what the hell is this all about? You know, we need to look more into this. And she ended up being one of only three people in the federal government to resign in protest to the Iraq war. She, she brought this to Larry Wilkerson, who was also a colonel, who was Colin Powell's uh, chief of staff when Colin Powell was secretary um, of state. Uh, or no, was he? Yeah, he was secretary of state leading up to the Iraq war. You know, he had to go to the UN and he had the vial of anthrax yeah. and he was, the, he was the pitch guy. He was the salesman for the Iraq war. They really right. hung him out to the Bush and the neocons hung him out to dry on that. And. Colonel Ann Wright was just not convinced. She wasn't, she, she, even people from CIA were saying there's no connection between 9-11 and Iraq, but the neocons and the people who want to see a connection are bending the intelligence 
to see a connection. Right. And um, yeah, so she resigned in protest. So she, she's actually the, the last guest I just had and before I had you on. And oh, nice. Um, yeah, she really interesting perspective. But, um, you know, to, to rise to the ranks of colonel. Um, and I asked her about that because I am I am interested in like the politics involved, uh, you know, to get to that level in the army. I'm sure it just gets to a point where, yeah, you're there on merit. You're there on time served. But then also now you're kind of you're playing a political game. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, so <clears throat> I depth into the army. Uh, so September and November and left for basic training in January. So all the while, you know, I, I have no idea. Iraq is a thing. I'm in, I'm in basic training, airborne school, you know, so you don't see any of this stuff. Cause it's, you know, kind of prison-esque, you know, like you're in open bays, you sleep in bunks, you got to do silly shit, you know, you mop the floor on Sundays, like, you know, you go to a chow hall, you know, so you don't get the outside information. And then when I got to Italy, it was a lot of training. So they just stood up the 173rd after they deflagged it after Vietnam. It's a pretty prestigious unit. And I was very thankful to be part of that unit and, and the leadership I had there. Um, and so we were training. We did some mountain warfare training in the Italian uh, Dolomites in the Alps. And then to prep for uh, about a month and a half deployment to Kosovo, where we were on the mountain ranges looking for weapons caches, touching base with people, see how things are going, what the climate is. And then we came back and a month and a half later, like we're going to Iraq. And I'm like, what? Like Iraq? I, I was always under the impression that'd be Afghanistan is where we're headed. And now... Here I am spearheading an invasion, you know, and and I, I thought, honestly, Eric, it was a giant joke. I mm. thought they were doing this as a training mission, get you mentally oh. prepped, see what you could do, because we were up in northern Iraq, and it's muddy, it's chilly, we're in the mountain ranges, you know, <clears throat> and I'm like, this looks like fucking Germany, man, like, I spent enough time in Germany, you know what Germany looks like, training there, and then, yeah, with further south we moved, the hotter it got, the more sandy it got, and and so then hey shit dude it's 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 go time it's real you know and you know it plays you know so like i know you and i've talked about this on more than several occasions like you know the, the toll that takes mentally right so you're there uh trying to legitimately help people right and, and pass out propane make sure their infrastructure is up and running and in clean water um all sorts of stuff just to get them back to what we think is normal and and it was hearing stories you know just how bad the saddam regime was to people is it's disturbing what this person would do uh and his sons you know i think i've never seen a country party so hard and on the day that they killed um was it uze and quasi and over in Missoula, i believe it was when the 101st tore them up pretty good i mean just everybody was in the streets celebrating i was up in kurd country too so their their outlook was completely different than you know um the southern you know south of Tikrit, you know where you had fedayeen bathist you know shiite you know sunnis you know christian it was just a very ideological chess game because it, it seems like anytime we help somebody the other three groups would get pissed off and they'd retaliate against you so you're just on this like hey man we're just here to help you you know and you shooting at us is not going to do anything for you it's only going to make it worse for you and and 
we can help these people, even though they believe certain things differently than you, like it, it can, you know, and we had befriended some kids there. We were, well, we, we had realized that, you know, this generation of older people is they're they're gone. But if we can get the 10 year olds and plant seeds of hope and freedom and, and whatever they do with it after that, it's up to them. It's their country. We'll see how that goes. But as you've seen it play out, it's just, you know, boots on the ground level. I mean, we worked really hard to make it better, but I think politically like any war, you know, that we were constrained to a degree, you know, of what we could and couldn't do. Um, and then, you know, thinking about the mental toll it takes, like, you know, when you start like walking, pipelines you know like so i was in um kirkuk which is the biggest biggest oil producing city in iraq and so you're just there garden refineries to a degree you know make checking in on workers making sure that everything is going good so it's just like what we were told is it's it's about the people you know you know ousting a, a, a horrible dictator but then you start looking at the other side of that coin you're like okay was it really really about this or was it about resources and, and, you know, and similar to what we've kind of started reading in Afghanistan, you know, with the, the minerals caches there, lithium and all sorts of stuff, battery technology, you know, and it's, yeah, so it, it's a tough, you know, I, I, I go either way some days, you know, I'm like, yeah, it was definitely worth it. And I would change nothing and I wouldn't change anything, but there are days when I'm like, was the sacrifice worth it? And I don't know if I've come to terms with that yet, or even, have leaned one way just because you know you start losing people that you know better than your own family man those it's, it's irreplaceable yeah these are people that, you know you went through something that uh right closer than your family you you're not going to go through with family or people you grew up with or knew from your childhood it's a whole whole other level of, of connection with someone and I've, I've heard a lot of other combat veterans say that and, and talk about that connection and asking that question, like what we, what we were doing there and the, my, the loss of my friend's life, was it actually worth it? And yeah, I, I can imagine, man, that's, that's a tough thing to right to carry day in and day out. Yeah. You know, but you know, you find your outlets, you know, like, you know, kind of harking on a little bit earlier rugby, man, like just takes your, your mind off, you know, and it's like, you, you, you can't not, not, have those reoccurring thought trains well, at least for me i can't speak for everybody you know um about you know i want to be so angry sometimes you know i just want to be yeah. like you know fuck you fuck you fuck you and then you know how does that what does that solve right uh, you just like a disgruntled vet you become part of the cliche you know like you know because it's not i think we've gotten better you know but you know there are certain aspects about being a veteran that are really cool. And then there are other aspects in my opinion that, you know, I was always, Hey man, you get out in the civilian world, you can get any job you want. No one cares. <laughs> You're not going to be CEO Ryan of any company. Like, you know, so like, I don't know, man, it's something that I will always talk about because of that world war II veteran, you know, to tie it in a little bit. If I don't ever tell my story, it gets lost. And I, and there's, I, I encourage other people to talk to other people about their experiences. Cause I mean, I can't say what was happening, you know, on the media side of the house, but you know, I think you guys were probably not given an accurate representation of the days, you know, the ins and outs of the day-to-day -day operations, you know, that's just, right. I don't know though. Like a lot of war. I mean, Vietnam was the first war that was really broadcast into living rooms of Americans. And of course, there's a narrative and there's a perspective that's going to be 
presented and put out to the people back home because they want to they want support for the war they want people to feel good about it you know america is a just country we're we're doing just things over the world over in other parts of the world with our military so of course i mean yeah that that's the only way i was able to see it or hear about it is from people who have been there like you and were part of it and what the media told me so being able to sift through that and and find what the reality of it is that is that is a challenge it definitely is a challenge but it's one area why i look at someone like chelsea manning or julian assange it my opinion is that they they've done a service to humanity to expose what happened over there and and really shine a light on on things that occurred over there yeah uh you know that's one thing i took pride in at least with the unit that i was in you know my company slash platoon more importantly is that you know we were varied by the book you know there were times when we could have engaged in a combatant but we you know given the circumstances around like the variables of women and children and you know is it really worth it you know maybe we'll we'll meet this person some other point or whatever that looks like but you know we were very disciplined and it's very hard to be disciplined uh you know there's like after um a buddy of mine died kyle thomas you know it, it you almost get like lord of the fly-esque like you're so bitter you know and it's just like you just want and it's a natural reaction i think just to like burn the shit down like fuck it like we're trying to help you and and i know there was a lot of outside influences right so we had you know some iranian influences in there i mean fuck we were seeing white redheaded dudes uh, hey chetnia how you doing buddy like you know like, right so like it, there's a lot of multi multi factions there that were you know fedeen bathist you know just trying to disrupt everything that we worked for you know that gorilla that guerrilla warfare mentality is very effective to a degree where if you don't know what your enemy looks like, how can you pr- properly protect yourself to the best of your ability? And also who is who here, you know, and if you're in a bazaar or market or whatever that looks like. Yeah. I, I can imagine that's just, just a stressful and confusing environment. Um, Mind pusher says, tell them about us getting the doors for the trucks so we could leave country. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So, <clears throat> well, so we were completely under, uh, under equipped. So we were turning, <clears throat> um, cargo Humvees were basically just like a pickup truck. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and manner and using the Iraqi population to kind of retrofit these with armor and, uh, it, it, like riding in the back of a pickup truck with <clears throat> some armor on the side is not going <clears> to, <throat> do you any justice but so we had to travel from kirkuk all the way south to kuwait and then drive and then we had to clean everything and it was just it was you know i got a a picture of me and a couple of friends of mine at the persian gulf like hanging at like the most southern tip you know and it was just man um i honestly don't remember the whole door story so if you want to clue me in um i'm sure we had to steal those from some people uh because you know (laughs) I was told this when I was in the army, this crusty E7 looked out to me. He's like, you know what, pal? There's only one thief in the world and everybody else is trying to get their shit back. So I'm like, oh, that's mine. That's like mind blowing. Like, okay, yeah. Like, look at the lighter, <laughs> you know, like everybody right. steals a lighter. He's trying to get right, my lighter right. back. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, again, interesting experience. Um, one I yeah. will never take for granted for sure. You know, and, 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 and I hope 
by telling people, you know, the ins and outs of the daily, you know, it's, uh, doesn't get lost and we don't repeat certain things if we can, you know, and, and war is war. It'll always be here and be there wherever that is, you know, it's just, how do we manage it? You know? And I think what you've seen kind of moving trending is kind of smaller combat teams, you know, more of SF Drones. level, right. Instead of, you know, full-fledged invasions of you know third id moving from the south to the north and shit. yeah a whole out regime change and then sending yeah. in a, a, a occupying force um in country michael says i knew it paratrooper keep your head out of your fourth point of contact good stuff good job brother all the way tell ryan pitt's story eric jackman forever oh man man so i think the blessing of being in the 173rd airborne brigade is you know, I kind of talked about earlier, the leadership, you know, when you, when you get there as a young private, the E4 mafias, you know, fucking with you right off the bat, you don't know what, like, like, I, I, this is, I don't know what to do. Everything. I'm so, so nervous, like, but rightfully so. And, uh, so we've, so the 173rd has, uh, three current medal of honor winners that are living. Uh, we're one of the most prestigious units in history. Um, more importantly, um, second and 503rd and uh so ryan pitts is a guy from new hampshire medal of honor recipient um he uh anyone can look this up it's it was i i found out i was super pissed because i got out of the army in 2006 i think it happened in 2007 the battle of wanat which was just a fucking strategic plunder like you were putting you know i think it was a company size element that's surrounded by fucking mountains like that doesn't end well at all. And, and and here is like your leadership, your top brass sending you in a place that is just in fucking possible to defend. Right. And so uh, the Taliban uh, decide to, uh, to, to attack this uh, area because they have the upper hand and in the, the high ground. And so Ryan Pitts, man, uh, a lot of chaos going on. I don't know the actual numbers, but I know there were several deaths. Ryan Pitts, I think, moved out into a, a mortar pit of sorts or maybe just a fighting position and held off a bunch of Taliban's. Well, uh, I think he was wounded as well. And uh, it's great story, man. The guy is a legend in the paratrooper community. Um you know, as, as, as well as Sal Gunta and, and, and Kyle White. You know, these guys. I had the opportunity to play golf with uh, Sal and Kyle. So it was it was cool to meet some some living legends in, in the military, you know, that are still yeah. alive, that can tell the stories. And, 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 it's, and it's great to see. I think the one fascinating part about the Army or, or the military in general is just the different walks of life that people come from. Right. Like that mesh, build this well-oiled machine and just monkey stomp shit like it is it's great like and you know and i'm not saying it doesn't exist but you know it, it seems like black white purple pink you know like we just all get along you know like we can laugh at stereotypes you know and and and, and not take offense to it right you know right and and I, and that's the great thing man you know and yeah there are douches everywhere that you know take in, it in every up. aspect of life military right. civilian yeah any job you're doing there's just people that suck yeah <laughs> yeah it says ryan pitts uh former u.s army soldier and the ninth living recipient of the medal of honor from the war in afghanistan and he grew up in mount, mount vernon so yeah 
Yeah, he uh, he's a year uh, older than me. He was born in October of '85, so he's 36 right now. Yeah, and um, he graduated from Sauhegan. So yeah, we we know all that. That's uh, yeah, that's not far from us. No, sir, it's not. <clears throat> so you you were part of the same airborne company you said that he was part of. Uh, so different time periods, but yeah, same units. Um, so, so it's um 173rd. You said airborne brigade. Yep. Yeah, so um, when I was there, it was they had two battalions. It was the first and the 508th, and then I was in the second and the 503rd, the Rock. Um, and just the history of those units from World War II is amazing. You know, like that's one thing you learn about, and I appreciate it, is history that you you are, are learning in the army, right? It's not just you show up, you blow shit up, you go home, right? Like there's a cause and effect to everything. Why is this unit still? here you know they they could be any other unit you know but and then you learn the history you know of the rock and how they jumped in in world war ii on a rock you know and 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 did work you know and then the 508 was part of the i believe the 82nd airborne in world war ii so they have their historical notes and then the 173rd was the only unit to do a combat jump in um vietnam as well as uh there might have been a couple other but iraq was the largest airborne operation since World War II going into Iraq. Wow. So you were in the Army from 01 to 06, you said? Uh, 02 to 06. So I did four. Four years. Wow. So on some levels, it must seem like a lifetime ago to you. And then also it must seem like that wasn't that long ago. No, that's definitely a fair assessment. Like I was just talking to Jen, um, you know, and it's like I would be retiring this year. I would have already retired to 20 years in, you know, and I thought about it and then I got, went to the worst unit, <laughs> I think in the army and went back to, so what basically happened is we got back from Iraq <clears throat> with some changeover and there's a bunch of new guys coming in. We knew that in about eight months, we we're going to Afghanistan, uh, a bunch of the guys that I had, you know, um, I went to war with are either getting out or they're moving on, you know, writing out their orders. So long story short, I flipped a coin, heads I stay, tails I go, because I was just so conflicted. And I wanted to maybe extending there wouldn't be a bad thing. But it was tails, so I went. And orders being cut at that time were 82nd or some unit in, was it Fort Polk, the 509th or something like that. But I ended up going to Fort Benning, Georgia, in Columbus, Georgia, which is a trade hockey unit. So what that means is just a bunch of training uh, schools there. So you got sniper school, airborne school, ranger school, um, all sorts of schools. And it just sucked. Hmm. I was in a leg unit. So a leg unit is non airborne type. So they don't jump out of airplanes and the standards were horrible. Um, and it really came down to my six months out and the retention officer going, Hey, do you want to reenlist? And I had enough points at that point to be an E6. So that's a staff sergeant. I mean, I was just raking in, I was doing schools, like my PT was good, quals were good. And I'm like, well, I would like to be promoted before, you know, I sign this contract and have to start all over at another unit. Like I've definitely uh, earned that, I feel. I was carrying around this 100-pound robot on my back, <laughs> putting it through the trials and tribulations Jesus. Uh, to see what is good about it and what's bad about it. And I'm like, well, the weight is a glaringly obvious like it thing weighs a hundred pounds and I had a like laptop a mini terminator. 
Yeah, it was like uh, you kind of see it a lot now. Uh, it's those little, I call them little Johnny Five robots. I have like the head that stick up, they go and detonate stuff, EOD type stuff. And wow. But um, I was carrying that around, really worked hard. And I was like watching people get promoted around me. I'm like, dude, like I'm a pretty humble person in the grand scheme of life, but I'm like, I know I'm better than you. I'm certainly better than you. And it's like, you know, I think your former guest probably touched on a little bit of the politics and, mm. and how that, you know, leaks into the ranks of the army as well. You know, I used to call it patch protecting, you know, well, if this guy's got a 101st airborne, you know, patch. I'm going to promote him over somebody that doesn't have the same patch that we do kind of thing. So, it got demotivating, frustrating, but I, I think it all panned out. You know, I'm in a good spot. You know, like you gonna play roulette for so many times, and then, oh you yeah, know. and you did a full year in Iraq, right? How long were you there? I was there 13 months. Oh, Jesus, longer than a year. So that was was that 05 or? So that was 03. Oh Jesus, very tip of the spear. Very tip of the spear, right? So I probably assuming what you may have saw on the news is you had the Third Infantry Division with 4th ID basically moving from Kuwait to Baghdad. I think the Marine Corps was in there as well. And then you had uh, elements of the 101st moving from west to east. And then there was us that was in the north. So we're kind of putting this like giant clamp down on the Republican guards, the Fedayeen, the Bathest, um, and any ill-doers. So 13 months straight in country. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, yeah. I, it's like I list that as places I lived. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you I can, yeah. Like, I can, could I be an Iraqi citizen? I've lived there for <laughs> six months. <laughs> you, you could have qualified to get the uh, the vaccine over in Iraq because right? past citizenship. <laughs> that's that's wild to think about, man. Small town kid, you know, grew up in Southwest New Hampshire, and you're uh, twenty. You're 20 years old, 23. You're 23, 23 years old. 23, yeah. And you're shipped, uh, it's about seven, 8,000 miles away. Iraq, yeah. From us, from New England. Yep. And there it you was, are. There I am. And just, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I'll always touch on this because I think it needs, like, the things we, and I think we're seeing this a little bit in today, society, is things we take for granted right like did you ever think that you would walk into a market basket or a hannaford's and not like the shelves would always be stocked full yeah right i think we've taken that for granted and like people like haven't experienced hardships like i i'm just waiting for the the collapse to happen sooner than later because i mean pandemic your your biggest thought here is to buy shit tickets. Like, let's buy up all the fucking toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, Screw right? the food, man. Screw the yeah. food. We need toilet paper. Oh like, my God. how spoiled are we? <laughs> like, you know? Oh man, it, that like, man, I, I'm thinking like different levels, and I think that's part new to my training. But well, like, yeah, your training and, and where you lived for a year, thirteen yeah. months of your life, you saw the absolute worst that. Uh, I, I argue that humanity has to offer by way of violence and death and destruction and poverty and just horror. And, and we are, we, we have it so made in this country and a lot of Americans haven't uh, traveled around and they're not really able to look outside of themselves. Right. And uh, I think that's something that travel can, can do for you. And it's certainly, I think one positive of the military is that ability to travel and be obviously not war zones, but to send to other parts of our world where you can 
see other cultures up close and, and realize America, we are, we are young, we're a young Republic and the world does not revolve around us. Oh man. It was like a trip. And like, so living in Vicenza, Italy, you know, you're walking into buildings that are like a thousand years old. Right. Holy fuck, man. Like <laughs> building <laughs> is a thousand years old. America's at that point was like 220 something years old. So like, it's just interesting stuff, but I definitely, it gives you appreciation and, and for, you know, the things that we are going to need to understand about one another, you know, like, again, we, we talked a little bit about earlier, but we can definitely agree to disagree and it's going to be fine. You know, like yeah. I just hate seeing, you know, just where we're at, you know, and I think being countries that old, they've learned already, you know, like they've gone through those pains of just being so dug in, so stubborn to realizing, you know what, like it's bygones or bygones. Let's put, let's put, put the peace, to peace torch down and uh, let's talk to one another. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do. I say that to people when, when anyone wants to complain about something or their day to day, I'm like, you could, you could live in a bombed out crater in Syria or Yemen. You could, I mean, most Americans don't even know what's happening in Yemen right now. You right. Know, what Saudi Arabia is doing there with weapons that we sell them and are basically our America's tacit consent, you know, because we right. get the oil from them and we sell them billions in arms. So it's the, the world is a, is a dark place. It's not black and white. Um, and it's it's hard for a lot of people to see outside themselves. But that's one of the reasons I do the show and why I love having people like you on, man. So. It's uh, it's been awesome. I really, I really appreciate you taking the time and and coming on. And before we wrap here, um, you know, if you got anything you want to plug, any any groups or anything you got going on, uh, yeah, man, let people uh, know. <laughs> sure. Uh, it just goes back to man. Uh, anybody that is in the southwest corner, uh, the Monadnock region, um, rugby team is always looking for new players. You don't need experience. Uh, we will teach you. So er, we're building a good thing here. Um, and we got youth programs, a women's team that's formed, men's team. So, you know, we're always looking to build upon that. And uh, so if anybody has a, 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 is interested in trying it out, by all means, reach out to me or, or our Facebook pages and we'll get you squared away. Um, other than that, man, just be good to one another. You know, this, life is too freaking short to to – to get upset over some petty shit. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, you know, is respect goes a long way. I love that. Yeah. I, I agree with you, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what the show is all about. So we, we really appreciate it, Ryan and uh, everybody tuning in tonight. Thank you so much for watching and for listening. And uh, if you want to support Jackman radio, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Jackman radio and becoming a patron. Uh, we just tell people five bucks a month, basically getting us a cup of coffee uh, to keep this channel going, to keep expanding it, uh, you know, filming interviews, traveling, cool stuff like that. So uh, subscribe to us on Spotify and Podbean. Follow me on Twitter at Jackman radio. And again, uh, appreciate you all watching and uh, Ryan we will definitely want to have you on again. Um, hey, pleasure is mine. Thank it's you. Been, it's been great. So awesome. Will, man. Uh, all right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and have a good one. Mm -hmm.